Well, church family, it is our great joy to have Bob Russell with us this weekend as our guest preacher, and it's also a great joy and a little bit of a surprise last night when Bob got here that he brought his wife, Judy, with him. And so let's give Judy a really warm welcome. Bob uh, delivered a great, great message last night, and I know you're going to be blessed by what he has to share today. Uh, when Bob was 22 years old, he went to Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, a small church of about 120 people, and served there faithfully for 40 years. And when he retired in, after 40 years of ministry, the church had grown to be one of the largest churches in the country with an average weekend attendance of over 18,000 people. Bob wrote a great book that talks about uh, all of that that's called When God Builds a Church. And the title of that book says a lot about Bob because he's a man of great humility, even in spite of the many ways God has used him to make a huge difference in the world. When Bob retired, he continued to stay active in ministry with a mentoring ministry to other pastors. Uh, I was privileged to be a part of one of his mentoring retreats a few years ago and uh, preaching all over the country. He and Judy have been married for over 50 years. They have two sons. Their oldest son is a preacher in Port Charlotte, Florida. So if you're going that way for spring break this year, then, uh, and you're there on a Sunday, then go to church at New Day Christian Church, Port Charlotte, uh, Florida. And if you're there and you don't go to church, then God have mercy on your sin-sick, shriveled-up soul for going on vacation and not going to church, <laughs> because I told you where to go. They have two sons, they have seven grandchildren, they have two great-grandchildren. Let's give Bob a really warm Mount Pleasant welcome as he preaches for us today. Well, thank you. I have a world of respect for this church, your positive testimony and witness all over the world, and I love your preacher. When I think of Chris Philbeck, I think of a definition that Sir Lawrence Olivier gave when asked what it took to be a good actor. He said a good actor is somebody who has humility enough to prepare and confidence enough to pull it off. And that's Chris Philbeck. He is a spirit of humility, and yet there's assurance in Christ that he has that makes him a great leader. So I just am honored to, to be able to preach here today. At my age, I'm honored to be able to preach anywhere. I just... <laughs> I know it's got to make you a little bit nervous to have a guy who just turned 80 years of age preach for you because you're not sure he can remember anything or get through it. Uh, I had a guy from Southeast Church in Louisville ask me just several months ago, he said, Bob, I'm pre-planning my funeral, and I just wondered if you would be willing to do my funeral. I said, well, I would, but you better hurry up. I haven't got much time. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, I'm one year younger than Joe Biden. And I'm only a year and a half, year and a half, year and a half older than Donald Trump. So evidently, one of those two guys is going to be our leader for four years. Uh, so maybe you can listen to me for 30 minutes. Uh, you know what I think? I think America needs a miracle. I, I think we need the Lord intervening. And what's, I think the Lord's going to come back in the next four years and make everything right. And... That's why I want to talk in part today about keeping calm in troubled times. Hear the word of the Lord from Philippians 4, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Do not be anxious about anything. I can just hear your words of protest. Lord, I've got a wedding coming up in a month and we're way behind in our planning. I'm afraid it's gonna be a disaster. I've got a chemistry test this week and if I don't pass it, my dreams of becoming a doctor are gonna be shattered. I've got a husband who's acting very distant. I'm afraid he's having an affair. I've got a wife who's been diagnosed with stage three cancer. And you say, don't worry, our company is downsizing and I'm worried about my job. I've got a grandson who's in rehab for drug addiction. You say, don't worry, our country seems to be coming unraveled. We're on the verge maybe of a nuclear war and our, and our church is gonna go through a transition of leadership this year. You say, don't worry about anything. Worry may be my spiritual gift. I'm becoming really good at it. And not only do we have these daily pressures, we are constantly reminded of our own mortality. That keeps us on edge too. I performed a wedding several months ago at a place called Duncan Memorial Chapel just outside of Louisville. It's a quaint wedding chapel, but oddly, it's, it's located right in the middle of a cemetery. In fact, I have two burial plots in that cemetery. But it's not easy to locate, and I hadn't been there for a while, so I used my GPS system to make sure I didn't miss it. I pulled into the cemetery, and my GPS system said, you've now arrived at your final destination. <laughs> I know that's true, but I don't need to be reminded by some woman up in the sky. Is there a command that we disobey as often and as cavalierly as this one? Don't be anxious about anything. One medical journal labeled anxiety the most common mental health disorder in America. And went on to describe how teenagers today seem to be impacted by anxiety more than previous generations. Before we study this Bible command against worry and examine the recommended cure, I wanna share several basic observations about worry we need to review. The first is there are different levels of anxiety. Just as there are different levels of anger, all the way from mild irritation to uncontrollable rage, so there are different levels of anxiety. Some people are just a little bit apprehensive on occasion, and others uh, are terrorized by fear and go into panic attacks. And this passage doesn't say, don't be terrorized, but don't be anxious. And the Greek word means, don't be pulled in different directions. Don't let your faith tug you one way and your fear tug you the other, not even a little. A second observation is some temperaments are more prone to worry than others. Some people are born with a sanguine disposition. They just instinctively have a Pollyanna spirit. Oh, everything's gonna turn out all right, don't worry. Others have a melancholy spirit. 
That's the way they're born. They're like Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. Oh, everything's going to turn out terrible. Our team is never going to get back in the NCAA tournament again forever. It's the innate difference between Simon Peter and Doubting Thomas in the Bible. Simon Peter was kind of a sanguine temperament. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come walk on the water. I can do it. But Thomas was more melancholy. He's going up to Jerusalem. Let's go up and Jerusalem and die with him. It's terrible. Now, if you're a sanguine temperament, your lack of anxiety may have very little to do with your faith. It's just your disposition. You never get ulcers. You just give them to other people by not worrying about the details. <laughs> On the other hand, if you're a melancholy temperament, details matter and realism matters, then you may have to battle anxiety every day for the rest of your life. It, it may be your besetting sin. Here's another introductory observation. There is a difference between concern and anxiety. Concern focuses on probable challenges and takes action. But anxiety focuses on uncontrollable difficulties and takes no action. Worry is always asking, what if, over things we can't control? What if there's a tornado? What if the stock market crashes? What if Putin does use nuclear bombs? What if my kids can't afford that new house? Now, when Jesus talked about worry in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he didn't say, don't be anxious about anything ever. Don't be concerned. He said, now no man builds a tower without first sitting down and calculating the cost or you'll get halfway through and not be able to finish and be embarrassed. So the Lord is not commanding you to be foolhardy and disregard the future altogether. He's just saying, don't be stressed out over things you can't control. The last verse of what I read this morning was, whatever you've learned from me or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes the best worry, cure for worry is action. You're worried about the test coming up? Well, study. Worried about your health? Guard your diet, exercise. You worried about dying and going to hell? Be sure Jesus Christ is your savior and you obey that command. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Be concerned enough to take action when necessary, but don't be burdened with anxiety about things you can't control. One other observation. We worry about different things, but most of us struggle in one area or another. I was one of the first in our community in Louisville to get the coronavirus. Wasn't proud of it, but that's what happened. And my doctor said, now you take your oxygen level every day, and if it ever falls below 90, you go straight to the ER. One day I was feeling really poorly and had a temperature, and before I went to bed, I got the oximeter out and took my reading, and it was 87. I said, oh no, I gotta go to the ER. I got halfway to the garage, and I thought, what am I doing? I'm gonna go to the hospital, and they'll observe me all night long. I'll miss a night's sleep. I'm 77 years old. If I die tonight, that's okay, I'm going to bed. And I went to bed and the next morning felt really good. I like to tell that story because it makes me look like a macho Christian. <laughs> I'm not afraid to die, not me. But several months later, there were race riots in Louisville. Terrible race riots. And I've got a son who's a lieutenant in the police department. I was watching at 7.30 at night on TV, all the chaos that was going downtown. And I said to myself, I hope my son's nowhere near that. And just then he walked by the TV screen and my grandson said, there's dad, there's dad. And about 10 minutes later, the reporter said, two policemen have been shot. And I'll tell you, for the next 
10 minutes till I found out he was okay. I was a basket case of nerves, wringing my hands, pacing the floor. Let's admit that most of us are guilty of worry in one way or another, and we have no right to be judgmental of others who have fears. We all need to listen carefully to this instruction in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. Now I want you to notice this is a command. It is not a suggestion. He doesn't say, try not to worry or avoid it if possible. He commands us, do not be anxious. That means that when we worry, it is a sin. When the Bible says, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, we know when we disobey those things, we are transgressing against God. But somehow we look at worry as a respectable sin or evidence of caring. But the Bible states clearly that worry is a sin in part because it is so harmful to us. You know, most of God's prohibitions are like guardrails keeping us from harming ourselves. Jesus asked, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Anxiety actually decreases your life expectancy. It ups the blood pressure, increases your chance of a heart attack, disrupts digestion, creates uh, ulcers. We say things like, well, I'll tell you what, I worried myself sick. And that's literally true. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart. So we're commanded not to worry for our own mental, physical, and emotional well-being. But worry is also a sin because it is such a poor witness to other people. I have a cardiologist friend who admitted that he delayed becoming a Christian for several years because he had two patients who were preachers who he could see were terrified of dying. And if we're always anxiously checking our pulse, wearing a mask when we're driving the car alone, refusing to hug our grandkids for fear we get the bug. Even our own family members don't believe it when we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. Courage inspires others to believe and do the remarkable, but cowardice destroys our witness and creates a barrier to faith that makes it a sin. But the primary reason that worry is a sin is it insults our Heavenly Father. When we're full of anxiety, we actually are calling God a liar. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, now your Heavenly Father takes care of the birds of the air and he takes care of the flowers of the field. Will he not much more take care of you, O you of little faith? Here's a father who tells his ch children, he's gonna take them to King's Island on Saturday and his eight-year-old boy says, Dad, what if we run out of gas? Dad, what if we don't have enough money to get in? Dad, what, what if we get lost? Dad, how I know what, 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 if, we, uh, what if I can't, don't know what, what rides I can ride? Eventually the father is gonna be offended because his son doesn't have confidence in his capability as a dad to take care of him. And worry is a sin because when we get overly anxious, we're calling God a liar. We say we don't have confidence in you. God promises all things are going to work together for good to those who love God. And worry says, I don't think they will. God says, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. And worry says, I don't think you'll do that for me. God says, I will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can bear, but with every challenge, I'll make a way out that you will be able to bear up underneath it. And worry says, I don't think I will. And when we're anxious, we're doubting the providence and the promises of God. 
Have you ever noticed how many of the Psalms have to do with not fearing, not being afraid? It's probably because most of the Psalms are written by David, and David, at every phase of his life, faced terrorizing experiences, stressful experiences. When he was a shepherd, he had to face a lion and a bear. That'll get your attention. And then, as a young warrior, he had to fight a mighty giant Goliath and even the king who was trying to assassinate him. And then when he became king, other foreign nations were trying to dethrone him. Even his own son was trying to form a coup against him. And so many of the Psalms are written about overcoming fear, coping with fear. I'm going to share with you right now seven Psalms that talk about overcoming fear. One for every day. You might be wise to write these Psalms down for future reference. Psalm 23, 4, you know. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We said that even if there's a nuclear war, we're not going to be terrorized by that because God has promised to take us through that. Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Psalm 112, 7 and 8. I really like this one. They will have no fear of bad news. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Psalm 118.6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? A.D. Tozer used to say, if you fear God, you don't have to fear any man. But when we are filled with anxiety, we're saying, God, these promises are not true for me. And we're insulting the providence and promise of God. Well, Philippians 4 informs us the cure for anxiety requires that we transform our thinking. Now, I want to warn you, this cure in Scripture is really effective, but it is not easy. You remember when Jesus met the man who had been lame for 38 years, and he asked him a strange question. He said, do you want to get well? And I want to say to those of you who battle anxiety every day, do you want to get well enough that you can change your mindset and your behavior pattern? What's he say? Do not be anxious about anything, verse 6. But in everything, everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, to pray about everything means we take our anxiety to God first. We don't first go to self-help books or to the bottle or whatever is your favorite escape mechanism. We don't go first to a counselor. Now, you might need to go to a counselor. You might need to take medicine. I'm not against that. But I'm saying we go to God first. God is not our last resort. He is our first responder, and he is capable of giving us a supernatural peace. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about worry, he said, now you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. 
And to pray about everything means that we pray every day. You're not going to pray about everything if you pray once a week or once a month. Jesus taught us to pray, give me today my daily bread. Listen, the peace that God promises, like the manna in the wilderness, is a daily provision. It is not a lifetime supply. Pray about everything. Pray every day. Now, if you're a novice at prayer or you're a rookie, let me give you a, a, a basic way to start. You notch out a few minutes every morning where you go alone to a place where you know nobody's going to interrupt you and you get down on your knees as a sign of submission, hail King Jesus. And then you pray out loud to keep your concentration, to form your thoughts. But you go back and just review yesterday and thank God for getting you through the encounters that you had, the uh, travel that you experienced, the things that came up you hadn't anticipated. You thank him for yesterday. And then you present your calendar for today, what you anticipate doing, asking him through the Holy Spirit to anoint you for today. And as you get into the rhythm of doing that, you begin to understand, God took care of me yesterday. He will take care of me today. And there's nothing going to happen to God today that you and I can't handle together. In everything, by prayer and petition, then he says, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God. You expect him you pray about everything with confidence. Or you pray about everything with intensity. No, he says you pray about everything with thanksgiving. There is something extremely therapeutic about first giving God thanks before you present your request. I would say the most stress-filled experience my wife and I ever had happened about two years ago. We have a 26-year-old grandson who became extremely ill with COVID. In fact, he was in intensive care in a Nashville hospital for 77 days sedated for 77 days on a ventilator, ECMO machine, and dialysis machine. And a doctor told me, we're down to divine intervention. And we're so thankful that people all across America prayed for my grandson, Charlie, and miraculously he recovered. It took him about a year physically to come back. And we just visited with him just last week and just amazing answer to prayer to see he's almost 100% cured. We're so thankful. But during that time, it was hard not to be anxious. And I remember Judy and I were driving home from a speaking engagement in southern Indiana and she was reading her text and all of a sudden she gasped and she said, oh no, Bob, they're intubating Charlie. And she started to weep, which she seldom does. And I pulled off the side of the road and we joined hands and we prayed and we wept together. But from that point on, for several months, stressful. And one, one morning I woke up and I was so ground down with concern and anxiety, I decided to put this scripture into practice and pray about everything with thanksgiving before I made my request. So I went back in my life said, Lord, I want to thank you for so many ways you've blessed me. 
And I thanked him for my godly parents, and I thanked him for D.P. Schaefer, my home preacher who preached the Bible. And I thanked him for that time at age eight I gave my life to Christ and was baptized. I thanked him that I learned lessons growing up on a farm, and the, I went to a little high school where if you could stand up, you could play sports and the lessons from sports. And I was thankful for the call into ministry, and I went to Cincinnati Bible College, and there I met Judy Kate Thomas, and we got married, and I thanked him for our two boys and our seven grandkids, and I thanked him for the call to Southeast Christian Church and all the wonderful people I met and things I was thankful for there and the fact that I was able to retire at age 62. And I'm going to tell you what, by the time I got to the end of Thanksgiving, I was weeping. I said, oh God, you have spoiled me. You spoiled me rotten. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. I don't deserve anything else. But I want to make this one request today with as much intensity as I can. Would you heal my grandson? And somehow that day, I got up from that prayer with a peace that passes understanding. Whole different attitude than when I first knelt. And what's he say in the next verse? Pray about everything with thanksgiving. And then he goes on to say, Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. The best cure for anxiety is to fill your mind with positive thoughts. Jesus told a parable about a man who had a demon in his house. And he swept the demon out, but he didn't replace it with anything. And seven demons, worse than the first, came in and occupied the vacuum. So we got to do more than say, I'm going to clear my mind of so much negative cable news. I'm going to quit hanging around pessimistic friends who drag me down. I'm going to quit watching uh, dark movies uh, that take me down to the pit of despair. No, you've got to fill your mind with positive thoughts. Look at this passage in Romans Romans 8, verse 5 and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set. On what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So how do we overcome anxiety? Fill our minds with the things of the spirit. Now how do we do that? I want to share with you what I've concluded are the four most practical biblical steps that I can propose to help transform our thinking from anxiety to peace. The first is this. Memorize scripture. There's nothing more pure, noble, right, good, praiseworthy than the Bible. We've got a young man in our church, grew up in the church, but between the age of 16 and mid-20s, he got trapped in addiction to pornography. And struggle as he may, he, he would just rubber band back into that dark world. And it made him anxious about his salvation. It made him anxious that he was going to be discovered by his wife and his family. And he happened to talk it over with a mentor who suggested to him that he memorize scripture. Because David said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. And he suggested, he memorized this passage I just read from Romans about the mindset of the flesh or the mindset of the spirit. So he memorized that paragraph and he discovered that as he filled his mind with the scripture, it kind of pushed out the dark thoughts. And he had some small victories. So he memorized the entire eighth chapter of Romans. 
And he began to be so victorious, he memorized the entire book of Romans over the course of months. And he was so uplifted by what was happening to him and the purity of thoughts, he memorized the Sermon on the Mount. Then he memorized the book of James over the course of several years. Now he's just completed memorizing the book of Hebrews. And he will look you in the eye and say that he overcame that addiction and he overcame his anxiety about the addiction by filling his mind with scripture. Now, I would suggest for you, you take those seven verses from, from Psalms that I gave you and memorize one for each day. Now, it's not easy, but let me ask you again. Do you want to get well? The second step is face the worst and trust that God will strengthen you to endure whatever happens. Now, this almost sounds contradictory. I just talked about fill your mind with the things that are good, and now I'm saying think of the possibility of the bad happening. But face the worst with the positive assurance that God will sustain you through it, whatever happens. That's what heroes of the Bible did. Job said, even if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery flames. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust him. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil for he is with me. We will not fear though the mountains fall into, into the sea. God's our refuge. And Jesus said, now in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. One day in the middle of my grandson's uh, battle against COVID, my son called me from Florida. said, Dad, I, I am so ground down with anxiety today. The numbers don't look good. I'm so worried. And I said, Rusty, maybe we ought to face reality here. Charlie may not make it. And we're going to pray that he lives, but you know what? Not all of our prayers are answered the way we pray. If that were true, we'd be running the universe, and that wouldn't be good. But you know, if Charlie dies, there are other families that have gone through it, and we can go through it too. God's promised to sustain us. And we're going to believe what we say we believe, that Charlie's in heaven. We're going to see him soon, and maybe we can use this as a positive testimony if he dies. And somehow facing that possibility... And being assured that God would sustain us gave me and I think Rusty a peace for that day. That's a whole lot better than saying, don't go there. Don't think about that. That's the one thing you cannot do. You see, faith, faith is not confidence that God will do exactly what I want him to do. Faith is confidence that God will do what is best for me in the end and he will see me through. Here's a third step. Learn to live in the moment, embrace the moment. We, we read this, this morning, rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. He didn't say, rejoice when life is going smoothly and everything's perfect, that's when you can be at peace. I'll tell you what, if you're waiting for that, you're gonna have a long wait. Because Jesus said, in the world you're gonna have trouble. So the key is every day to rejoice and make the most of that day, regardless of the challenges you face for tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. I heard about a preacher who was under time demands and he was stressed out. He knew he'd neglected his family. So he told his family, I'm going to make it up to you on Monday. We're all going to go to the beach. We're going to have a family day at the beach. Monday they packed the car, 7.30 in the morning. They head to the car. And as they're going to the car, the preacher's cell phone rings. And on the other end was a guy who was threatening to commit suicide. Now what's the preacher going to do? Kids saying, come on, Dad, come on, Dad. 
and the guy on the other end threatening to commit suicide, needing counsel. And then suddenly the preacher had a brilliant idea. And he said to the guy, sir, can you wait until tomorrow? The guy said, huh? He said, you're thinking about committing suicide. Can you wait until tomorrow? If you wait until tomorrow, I'll come over and have breakfast with you. We'll talk it over. Well, the guy thought that he could. And so the preacher went on and had a great day with his family. Next day, had breakfast and talked him off the ledge. And he wrote a great sermon about positive procrastination. (laughs) Can it wait until tomorrow? Sometimes, to enjoy today, you got to say, Lord, there's a problem, but it's going to wait until tomorrow. And you and I will handle it tomorrow. Because every day when you get out of bed, you got 24 hours. And don't waste that. Corey Ten Boom said, anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So embrace the moment. Rejoice in the Lord every day. And then finally, fix your mind on eternity. Get passionate about heaven. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. The reason we get anxious is our focus is on this world. We're thinking about finances and our body and our house and our team and our kids and grandkids. And those things are all so fragile. The world and everything in it is going to pass away. So as we mature in the Christian life, we need to think more and more about heaven. We're going to spend eternity there. And this world is going to be temporary. Paul says, I consider the present sufferings are going to be but a moment compared to the glory that is awaiting us. In Hebrews 11, the Old Testament heroes are commended because they endured suffering and they went through difficulty and they weren't overly anxious because they looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. And just recently your preacher preached on 2 Corinthians 4, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And as we mature more and more, we think about, I'm going to see God. I'm going to see angels. I'm going to meet Christ. I'm going to meet my mother and dad my sister and loved ones. I taught a class, a Saturday morning men's Bible class on death and dying a while back. And I asked, how many of you guys in here are over 70? A bunch of guys raised their hand. I said, do you fear death more or less as you get older? And they all said, oh, Bob, you fear death less as you get older. I said, why is that? And Bush dad, and he said, it's because I got more friends in heaven than I got on earth. <laughs> Fisher Jones said, Bob, I'm 93. I actually hope I die pretty soon. My friends are going to think I didn't make it. <laughs> That's the spirit that Christian people ought to have. We sang that old song, Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look of the Savior and life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Set your mind on the things that await you. This world's not your home. I've got a brother who's a preacher and he does a lot of inner ministries, but a woman from his former church called him several months back and said, Brother John, would you come visit me? I'm in the hospital, and the doctor says my disease is terminal. I may not leave the hospital, but even though you've been gone for a while, I still consider you my pastor. Would, would you come? I've got a question I want to ask you. 
John said, everybody loved this woman, but I, I really didn't want to go see her because I knew she was going to ask me, why did God let this happen to me? Or what's it like to die? Tough questions to answer. And she had so many friends, I knew the hospital room was going to be packed and have to answer that in front of people. It'd be awkward. He said, I loved her a lot, so I went. But when I got there, there was nobody in the room. And she said, I couldn't get over how joyful and how peaceful she was. She said, oh, Brother John, I'm so glad you came. You came just the right time. All my relatives are down in the cafeteria eating, and we're by ourselves. We can have a conversation. We miss you so much at church. She said, I want you to sit down here in the bed. She grabbed his hand and said, now, here's my question. When I get to the other side, is there any message you want to send to somebody over there? I know your mom and dad are so proud of you. I, I just want to know, is there somebody, something you want me to tell somebody? John said he could barely pray because he knew he's in the presence of somebody that God's promise has come true. The Holy Spirit lifted them up and gave them peace in the face of life's most anxious moment. And I would say to you today, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. You pray about everything with thanksgiving and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will every day guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you calm those who are troubled today? Would you remind us your promise is true? You never leave us nor forsake us. All things are going to work together for good. So wipe the furrow from our brow. Quiet our spirits. And as we leave today, you give us, Lord, a peace that passes understanding. We pray it in the name of the Prince of Peace, even Jesus. Amen.